All right, everybody turn to Galatians chapter 2. We'll be in, in verses 1 through 10 this morning. We're, we're in a series in Galatians. I feel like we're just now getting, getting lifted off the ground. The first couple of chapters of Galatians is biography uh, of Paul and Paul recounting his conversion and kind of the, the years following that. Um, and so that's a lot of what the text is about this morning from Galatians 2 verses 1 through 10. Listen as I read God's word for us. It is found on page 10 of your worship guide. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were was nothing to me, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Let's pray together. Oh, make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Well, I guess it was uh, a week ago, this last Monday, that was, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we decided uh, to go downtown to the Civil Rights Museum. We'd never taken the kids there. In fact, I, to my shame, I, I've never been there or visited the museum. It, was, it wasn't open when I was uh, a kid, and somehow I'd missed that. And so, you know, that's something that I, that I wanted to do, but it's, it's free on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so kind of thinking we would get in to see the museum, uh, we went in, and even on that rainy day, if you remember the weather on that day, there was this huge crowd, and there was this party that was going on, and there were, there were bands, and there were, there were food trucks, and there were tents, and there were activities, and the line to visit the museum was, it was literally like a half a mile long, stretching down the street. Um, so we didn't get to, to do that, but, but everyone there was, was having fun and celebrating and, and friendly and, and what were they celebrating? They were celebrating the, the sacrifices and the triumphs, but also the struggles and in, in obtaining and advancing freedom for black people in the U S 
especially the the triumph of freedom over the the segregationist South and the Jim Crow era and the sacrifice of Martin Luther King Jr. and and the movement that that he represented. And there was this ongoing cry and desire and struggle for justice as as we grow as a society. But everywhere, everywhere around the Lorraine Motel, there was the, the legacy and the sentiments that, that can kind of be summed up in this, this very famous line uh, that Martin Luther King uttered that's actually a, a, a quote from an old spiritual song. Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. And you can just hear in those words, the, the jubilant words of, of Martin Luther King quoting that, that old spiritual song and expressing not only the, the joy of the freedom, but the difficulty in obtaining it. Uh, 150 years after emancipation of the slaves was proclaimed that, that, that there was still this struggle to obtain freedom. And there's also this understanding that once obtained, freedom is easily lost or, or traded away. Well, that's, that's what's at stake in the book of Galatians. The, the trading away of, of freedom in Christ. The issue was the freedom that is ours through the gospel of grace. And it, this is not a secondary issue that that Paul is, is talking about and writing about and caused him to send this, this urgent letter to the Galatian church. At stake was the message of the gospel of grace that Paul had been preaching for 14 years. And the message which had expanded the boundaries of the people of God. Now to include not only Jewish believers, but Gentiles as well. This glorious advancement of freedom in Christ from the slavery of Pharisaism. The gospel of grace is boundless. Our freedom in Christ always advances the gospel. So let's look. Here's the three points this morning. Let's look, let's look at the fruit of the gospel of grace, the enemies of the gospel of grace, and then the unity of the gospel of grace. The fruit, the enemies, and the unity of the gospel of grace. But first, let's do a little, let's do a little timeline sorting out and un, untangling here a little bit. So, so there are four trips that Paul made to Jerusalem that, that we know about. Uh, and the first of it, first of the trips he talks about in chapter 1, verse 18, that we covered last week, it's this get-to-know-you trip that he made to get to know Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. So that's, that took place three years after his conversion, right? The second trip that he refers to here in verse 1 uh, is, is after 14 years. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And so this trip to Jerusalem after 14 years is, is some, something of a mission trip because he's got, he's got another excuse to go to Jerusalem uh, that we read about in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 through 30. Uh, it, Luke writes, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, 
And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so you can connect these two trips together. The one that Paul refers to in in Galatians 2 and this mission to deliver this offering uh, in Acts chapter 11. Um, They brought Titus along with them as well. And so this is the trip that is in view in in chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 that we're looking at. It's after this trip that the churches in Galatia are planted and shortly after that that the Judaizers show up and begin insisting then that uh, Gentiles become Jews before they can really be saved. And kind of all throughout this as we talk about circumcision, uh, circumcision is really just sort of this representative law-keeping act uh, that really sort of refers to the whole Jewish law. So I guess in, in, you could think about it this way. If, if you are willing to commit to circumcision, you are willing to commit to the rest of it. The rest of it wouldn't be that big of a deal. And so circumcision is sort of the, the telltale sign of, of mosaic law keeping uh, as a means of salvation. So those are the first two trips. The third trip is referred to in Acts 15, and it's also known as the Council of, of Jerusalem. When Paul goes to finally settle this question of whether Gentiles are included in the the people of God or not, or do they actually need to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic law? And that ends in Acts 15 with a decree that is issued by by the elders of the church, um, namely Peter, James, and John, that the matter, matter of circumcision is settled once and for all. This trip took place after the writing of the book of Galatians. Because surely, if, if that council had taken place before Galatians was written, all Paul would have had to do was to say and refer to the decree that this council uh, made on the issue. So Paul would have cited that, and that would have been the end of the story. The fourth trip is in Paul's arrest and transport to Rome uh, that you can read about in Acts 21 through 28. So there's, there's a little timeline for you. There's a little history for you there. Uh, and placing this in the context of where we are in the, the life of Paul and the biography, because this becomes important uh, in these first two chapters. Okay, the fruit of the gospel of grace. Let's pretend, uh, for the sake of argument, um, that you have received tickets to, let's just pick two football teams at, at random, the Alabama-Auburn uh, football game. Uh, you get two tickets to the Alabama student section and you invite your friend along and you show up early uh, before the game and your friend shows up and guess what he's wearing? This great big Auburn jersey in the middle of the Alabama student section. Uh, you know that if you go and sit with your friend dressed as he is, um, there's a good chance that at least your friend will not leave here clothed in the same way that he arrived. Um, And neither will you. But Paul brings Titus to the church in Jerusalem. 
And it's a little bit like that. The experience must have been something like that, and, and maybe from Titus's perspective, right? What's going to happen when I show up in the middle of, of this city among these people? But what is Paul's aim? And what is, you have to understand, Titus on board with this too. What is their aim? Well, in verse 2, it says that he set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. Paul didn't just set before them the bullet points and the talking points and the, you know, the catechism questions regarding the gospel that, that he was presenting, but he was setting before them the fruit of that gospel. And the fruit of that gospel was Titus. Titus was there as a living example of the boundless gospel of grace to the Gentiles. He was there to show the sufficiency of Christ and Christ alone as all that was necessary for salvation. Verse 2 again, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Well, two things very quickly. First of all, Paul goes because of a revelation, and it's probably referring to the, the prophecy of Agabus that we, we read in Acts chapter 11 just a few minutes ago. But it was God's direction. It was at God's direction that he went. God was, was sending them. Paul's Paul's motivation for going is, is in obedience to God. And God's motivation is to preserve the gospel of grace alone, by faith alone. And set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. And then Paul says, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul's not in doubt of the message that he's preaching. He's not in doubt of the, the gospel that he's been preaching now for 14 years. He doesn't think that he has gotten anything wrong uh, content-wise in terms of what he is preaching to the Gentiles. He wants to silence these fake Christians who are trying to destroy it. Paul is afraid, but he's not afraid of the false brothers or what they might say about him Paul's afraid that the gospel's advancement might be hindered or even halted because of them. And so he shows up with something that, that can't be ignored. He shows up with someone that can't be ignored, rather. The fruit of the gospel's working among the Gentiles. Verse 3, but, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So there he was, Titus, the Gentile follower of, of Jesus, the, the unavoidable, unignorable exhibit A in Paul's battle with the false brothers and their false gospel. How do you ignore 130 pounds, give or take, of Gentile Christians sitting right in front of you? You don't, you can't. You either reject him and therefore reject the validity of the gospel Paul has been preaching for 14 years. And all the other Gentile converts of Paul that Titus represents. Or you accept him. Titus was accepted. He was accepted by, Paul says, those who seemed influential. That's Peter, James, and John, these, 
these ones that he referred to as pillars of the church. But why was Titus accepted? Was it on the basis of anything that, that Titus had done? No. Titus wasn't accepted on the basis of his doing anything. We don't, we don't need to make ourselves acceptable to God by keeping the law. Titus didn't need to make himself acceptable to God by keeping the law. Because of Christ's keeping the law, we are made acceptable. Because Jesus kept the law for us, salvation is not based on our external behaviors. Tim Keller says, externalities are to do with our doing. Internalities have to do with our being. And Christianity is about who I am in Christ, not what I do for him. So that's the fruit of the gospel of grace. Let's look at the the enemies of the gospel of grace. Verse 4 starts out with, yet because of false brothers. Uh, In other words, fake Christians... Uh, Not necessarily the same uh, individuals who were plaguing Paul in Galatia, but their objectives were the same. They were were of the same party, right? They were of the same tribe. They they wanted to destroy the precious gospel of grace. Verse 4 is a little bit hard to to figure out. There's some things we just don't know. Verse 4 says, They were secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. We don't know who brought them in or what what it means that they slipped in to spy out our freedom, but we do know that they were the enemies of that freedom, that freedom in Christ. And because they were enemies of our freedom in Christ, they were enemies of the gospel itself. Galatians 5, 1, when we get there, you'll, you'll remember it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For the Galatian church, this this yoke of slavery uh, was circumcision and and adherence to the Mosaic law. And if you think about the Mosaic law, one of its purposes is to show us our inability, our inability to make ourselves acceptable. If you if you've ever read or studied the book of Leviticus, first of all, you know, high five. Um, if you've ever read or studied the book of Leviticus, there are all these weird. They sound weird to us. All these weird regulations and rules and and things having to do with cleanliness and and ritual purity and and these things that just don't connect with us and seem so foreign and strange to us. But what those things, those things really aren't about, you know, mold in your house or, or wearing a, a cotton poly blend. That's, that's really not the point of those, those rules and regulation. What those things are about is teaching God's people and helping God's people to understand the defilement of sin. In other words, the sinfulness of sin, the corruption of sin. And the law is, is illustrating to us that, that, that even if we were to keep all of the Mosaic law as best as we can, there's still, we're not able to do it perfectly, and the defilement of sin is still a problem. And the fake Christians, the false brothers, were saying that through adherence to the law, you could overcome the defilement of sin. 
But really what the gospel says and what grace means, grace means that Jesus has cleansed you. (laughs) He has cleansed you not only from the transgressions of the law, the, the guilt of the law and the shame of the law, but the defilement of sin as well. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In Christ Jesus, you are clean You are pure. You are undefiled. That the the atonement of the cross goes deeper than simply striking through a legal record that God must keep somewhere up in heaven. But it cleanses down deep in in the very center of who we are. that, That in Christ Jesus, the purity of God the Son becomes my purity. (laughs) By His grace, no law-keeping can accomplish that. Only grace can. I know my heart. Unfortunately, (laughs) I know what's in there. I know the thoughts that go through my mind and my imagination Not only do I know my heart, I know my past. I know the the shameful things that I've done. The defilement in my heart that, that might yet come out and the defilement of what I've done in my past, it's easy to let that define me. 1 John 13, verses 8 and 10 Peter does something astounding for the disciples. It's the upper room, the last night they're together right before he's crucified. And what does Jesus do in 1 John 13? He washes the disciples' feet. The holy, pure, and blameless, undefiled Son of God strips and washes the dirty, nasty feet of his disciples' Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And then what does Jesus say to Peter? He says it to Peter. You remember Peter? He says, and now you are clean. That's why Paul is so energetically opposed to this perversion of the gospel. Verse 5 says, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul didn't seek the validation of his message so that he could be declared the winner in some Facebook debate. Paul wants the Galatians to know that the assurance of God's grace 
does include them. That they too are a part of the family of God. He wants them to know that Jesus is enough. In him they're accepted. Fully known and truly loved. They are clean in Christ. That brings us to the unity of the gospel of grace. Do you remember what the traditional Jewish position towards the Gentiles were? That they were, they were, they were not clean. They were dogs. They were not worthy of, of association. If a, if, a, if a law-keeping Jewish person went into the home of a Gentile, well, first of all, they wouldn't. And second of all, they had to be ritually purified, ritually clean. And so there was no unity But God in his grace is is forging unity between these two groups. He's making these two peoples one. John Stott says, It's one thing for the Jerusalem leaders to give their approval to the conversion of the Gentiles, but could they approve of commitment to to the Messiah without inclusion in Judaism? Was their vision big enough to see the gospel of Christ not as a reform movement within Judaism, but as good news for the whole world and the church of Christ as the international family of God. The, the fake Christians sought to divide and conquer. Paul's visit only served to reinforce the unity of the gospel. Verse 6, in terms of Paul's message to the, both the Jews and the Gentiles, said, Paul says that they, meaning Peter, James, and John, this, these pillars, added nothing to me. Since the Judaizers were seeking to add to the gospel, Paul emphasizes that there was nothing to add. As the enemies of the gospel of grace sought to divide and conquer, the Lord was working in his church to unify. Verses 7 and 8, Paul says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, Peter, James, and John, and, and Paul, and Titus, and Barnabas, they, they met together in this spirit of trust, and frankness, and openness, and peace, and they rejoiced in the gifts of their brother Paul, and in the success that he had with the Gentiles. They rejoiced in what God was doing. Nobody was seeking to establish their own little, little kingdom. There was clear recognition that it was God who was at work in the first place. Paul says, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. It's this gospel that's our gospel. This is the gospel that we believe. This is the gospel that that we preach, Lord willing. This is the gospel that we follow and that we, we hope in and that we trust in, that the gospel that Paul preached and that Peter and James and John preached, God not only unified the church around that gospel of grace alone by faith alone, but he preserved it. He preserved it for us. He preserved it for you and for for me. And we hear that same gospel message. We celebrate that same gospel message each week as we 
come to the Lord's table. It's the, the gospel message of the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we need that. <laughs> we need that gospel message. The need in us is the same as the need that existed in Titus and in the Galatians and in the Corinthians and in, in the, the, the believers in Jerusalem. That Jesus died on the cross to, to pay the penalty for your sins and he perfectly fulfilled the demands of the law because we never could and his, his righteousness, his holiness, his purity becomes ours in our union with him by faith, by his grace. That's the gospel. That we find our identity in Christ By faith in him, we can be reconciled to God and enjoy all the graces of being called his children. Let's celebrate that this morning as we come to the table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gospel of grace. We thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we, we delight in and we declare and we, we demonstrate. And Lord, we pray that as your people, you would, you would help us to, to do that, that you would, would work in us this, this assurance and this, this celebration of and this understanding of and this, this marveling at the, the gospel which would call sinners like us into reconciliation. And then purify us by the work of Jesus Christ and his spirit in our our lives that, that you would cleanse us by your grace, that you would be merciful to us. Lord, help us, help us to share that, help us to celebrate that and to, to revel and to marvel in that, help that to to drive us to to worshiping you and to 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 delighting in in that on a, a day by day moment by moment basis lord help us as your people to to live out the implications of the gospel of grace lord protect us from from adding to and seeking to to, to add to the gospel by any performance, but rather, Lord, help us to, to live in obedience in response to what you have already done for us. And we pray that, that we would indeed uh, preach that gospel with, with not only our words, but our lives and our obedience to you as well. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.